0: you are listening to the evolution exchange nordics podcast a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful technical leaders in the nordic region i'm dan my i help companies connect with the best tech talent and i'm your host today i'm joined by Yip magnus Supriya, and clays to discuss managing expectations the right way before we delve deeper into the topic i'll work my way around the room with some introductions So, Jip, do you want to kick us off?
1: Yeah, Uh, my name is Jip, engineering manager at IKEA, working in the payment subdomain. I've been working with IKEA for close to seven years and strongly working with payments for the last five
0: in different setups with both product and uh, platform ways of working. Perfect, thank you. Magnus, we'll come to you next.
2: Yes, I'm head of uh, product strategy and new product in Telia Division X. Was four years back, and then before that, I have a background as uh, managing investments in early stage startups, but also an entrepreneur and a consultant in digital product innovation
0: and digital innovation at large. Perfect. Supriya, welcome to you next.
3: Hey all, my name is Supriya Chitale and I'm leading the open source program office at IKEA IT in Sweden. I've been part of IKEA for just over a year now and I'm responsible for all things open source. Prior to joining IKEA, I have worked in India for 10 years at Siemens and uh, before that, about six years in the United States.
0: Perfect. Amazing. And, and then last but not least, Claes, will come to you. Yeah, thanks. My name is, uh, is Claes, uh, I'm
4: head of product uh, at Domain, uh, at uh, been here for the past, uh, for the past year. Um, I've uh, mainly been working uh, for the past ten years with, within uh, digital uh, product uh, development and product management, uh, mostly within uh, within fintech, um, and now working here at the, at the main uh, with uh, chronic disease management and and uh, and health.
0: Fantastic! Cheers, guys. So now that we've established a bit more context to each of you, I'll work my way into the topic in focus. So you all have a question or statement on managing expectations the right way. And as usual, I'll work my way around the room, asking each of you to pose your question and the reasons behind it. So each of you will have the opportunity to give your take on the situation. So we will kick off today's podcast with Clay's, if that's okay.
4: Yeah, sure. I can, uh, I can, uh, I can kick it off. Um, yeah. So, uh, so, so one, one, uh, one thing that uh, that uh, that most people, at least in uh, within product development, is is, is very uh, aware of is that we want to avoid. Uh, kind of rushing into uh, into solution mode and start uh, defining features and solution before we we actually understand the problem that we are that we are trying uh, that we are trying to uh, to solve or the objectives that we actually want to uh, to reach um, and that of course makes sense in in many in many ways uh, one of the one of the challenges uh, of of this this approach is that uh, how do we actually manage uh, expectations to various stakeholders as to uh, to what a given initiative or uh, uh, a given uh, yeah a given initiative will actually end up with? Uh, since we are we are very very key on not starting to talk about solution and, and features and start being specific before we actually understand what it is that we are that we are trying to uh, to solve, and that could be both towards uh, internal stakeholders, uh, where there's a, a, a risk that that people uh, obviously can start dreaming up their own. Uh, Solutions, which might not at all be uh, the reality in the uh, in the in the end. Um, yeah, so I think that's an interesting uh, dilemma when it comes to uh, to managing uh, managing uh, expectations uh, within uh, within this field. So
1: interested to hear your uh, your thoughts on
4: uh, your thoughts on that.
1: I think it's it's always definitely easy to, um, especially from if you come from a product perspective and you have found a product it, where the need is high, you're going to fulfill a huge a uh, gap in the market or in the customer needs. Uh, it's easy to fall in love with your own product and start running with it. And five, six months down the line, you realize, oh, we, we took a wrong turn. Uh, and, and how do you, yeah, how do you cater to the stakeholders at that point? I think that's, that's definitely a, a better way to, to start slowly, make sure that you have all the basics done, uh, do all your due diligence and then start building to make sure that you can increase the speed for down the line rather than slow down and need to refactor everything.
2: Yeah. I mean, I would totally agree. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm focused very much and have always working mostly with digital product development and the both blessing and the curse with digital product is that there is no real product, right? You can't put it in a box, take it home and show your friends, your new wonderful product. It's continuously just an experience from using something on top of a fairly complex system. So the curse is also that it's never done. And then the blessing is that you can fairly cost-efficiently continuously iterate and rebuild it. But I would say, first of all, is to have people moving away from their egos in maybe designing the product for themselves But as you say, Klaus, Klaus, being a stakeholder or to make stakeholders continuously expecting the right things is for them to understand whose problem this product is solving and to understand the real problem they have and then to create solutions to try to hit reality as soon as possible as you say so you don't go too far this is a lot easier when it comes to digital prototyping than physical objects i have a huge respect for that those waterfalls
3: yeah i feel um one of the places that we should start with and i'm then following this phrase from Simon Sinek's book, start with why, you know, why, why we are trying to solve this particular problem, because many times we make decisions based on our perceived truths, on what we think we know, instead of trying to understand what the customer really wants or what problem we are trying to solve for the customer. And uh, one thing that has worked well for me is to ask stupid questions
4: and how about uh, yeah maybe one 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 other reflection on on this one is is, is the the external part so if you have uh, if you are if you're let's say you're developing like solutions for uh, for for for, uh, for, uh, for 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 major clients uh, who has again a uh, very specific uh, needs or very specific uh, ideas or wishes for what exactly the product should be uh, should should be able to do uh, and when they would also like to uh, to uh, to get their hands on how how how, how to manage those uh, expectations. also taking into account again that we don't want to define the solution before we really understand what it is that the clients are actually asking for but on the other hand you have the the pressure uh, uh quite quite often from from sales uh, and also from the clients themselves, that they want to see what they are getting uh, and they want to know uh, exactly when they are they are getting it. How, how do you see
1: how do you see that and how do you any any uh, any experience in, on on managing that part of the of the story? Yeah, I'm always a firm believer of the, of transparency and communication. Um, and, and especially if you work with internal sales teams, then the alignment between the product teams and the sales team need to be crisp or clear so that we um, we don't overpromise over um oversell our, our capabilities um but taking back and I will touch base on that a little bit later as well um timelines will always uh, fly and and move I would say I would often see timelines and delivery days as a moving target because we don't exactly know we work with agile we work with incremental deliveries which means that we try to deliver a value as soon as possible. But depending on the fields and the markets, um, especially for example, if you're working with uh, medical um, equipment, for example, it's often we you will end up with having hard deadlines because it will need to be certified and uh, revised by external parties before it goes to use. And from that perspective, I would say be open, be clear, uh, have a communication with the con with the consumers, with the um, with the clients, with the customers. With the internal teams, so make sure that it's not just a delivery date that has been given one, once in time, but just revise everything. If you revise it, then in the end, you're gonna, yeah, it might move a little bit, but since everybody has been updated along the way, often there's going to be a lot more understanding for,
3: for changes in dates. Yeah. And I guess sometimes you also have to make difficult choices. You know, uh, I have faced with such situations where I have had to say no to a customer uh, instead of giving a crappy product or a low quality product, uh, just pushing back on the deadline and giving, uh, you know, realistic estimate uh, of where we stand right now. Sometimes it's difficult, but it just has to be done.
2: Yeah, I agree. I like that. And, and, and I would say from my experience then as working as a consultant is trying to always uh, being able to afford to have s- um, integrity and to be able to sometimes push back a bit and to open the eyes of the customers to the actual reality, to bring transparency and say, you know what, the, the 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 brief we got and you were asked to see a suggested solution and you just sitting there, I don't know if this is a sort of a pitch type of situation you're describing, is it, class? that sort of, I want to see your best idea for a designer solution of something for this problem. And then they're supposed to sit there and like or dislike what the, you show them. Is this, is this the situation you're describing? Uh, yeah, it it uh,
4: it it, uh, it it could it could be. Um, and I think like just often when you have uh, when you are in in uh, in, in dialogue with uh, with with clients and also with with internal sales, like people are still looking. They they are looking for solutions, right? They are not they are not really looking for they are not really looking for uh, for for, for for problems, so so uh, quite often it can be a it can be a tough discussion to kind of sit in this way. You want to talk about the problem and understand it, right? And and you uh, and you deal with people who are very much focused on on something that they can actually go and, and show and sell uh, because uh, yeah, again, also for uh, for for clients, the, the the problem is not that important. They they want to see solutions, right? Um, and that is that is a, a, a dilemma to some extent.
2: I've been in the situation. A uh, number of occasions and, and, and then it's uh, for me, I think the best method, uh, was trying to take as to the best possible extent, take the customer by the hand and lead them back into the problem in a clever way, or at least put, um, uh, to the best possible extent, the people that this is supposed to solve the problem for, to put their reality into the room in a way that builds empathy to make them say, no, 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 they're facing this. This is what it feels like for the customers when they're trying to do whatever this product is supposed to solve for them. Uh, why is, and, and what does it have to do? So you calibrate the glasses of the person then looking onto the suggested solution so that they understand what good and bad is. And you can't do that unless you understand the problem and, and, uh, uh, and and if if they're too stubborn about it, but I mean, then it's sometimes it's reality. Sometimes it's a huge account, and you have to pitch, and then you have to pitch. But you know, you, I think I've always tried to make sure to to describe my understanding for the problem to the best extent before. And and uh, for when it comes to internal stakeholders, I I continuously say that I would never have my first meeting with uh, like a steering group or a high level executive team that are making a decision or something with risks. I would never have the first meeting to present the solution or the concept. The first meeting for me is always set up for them to understand the problem. Without having had that meeting or workshop, I will never go into the second important meeting where I would then present or suggest a solution. Because otherwise, if you do that first, it's in our nature and I will be the same kind of person. I will shoot it down. I will not trust it or understand why it's relevant or believe in it, unless I'm invested in why it solves something relevant to solve. Makes sense.
0: Fantastic. Cheers, guys. Good way to start today's podcast. Um, Magnus, we will move to, in fact, actually, I will scratch that. Yip, we'll come to you next for your topic, if that's okay. Yeah,
1: definitely. And I think it's continuing a little bit on uh, on the class topic, um, but maybe more from an engineering perspective, um, because every every so often we do have Bigger changes that need to be made from an from an engineering perspective that will benefit the product further down the road, but do not um, add immediate benefit for customers. Uh, and especially if you're then working with external customers, um, we will need to tell them you have, you want these twenty five t- features to be delivered, but we cannot right now because we need to do A B C. Even though you will not see immediate um, benefit from them. You will see it down the road, but again, it's like you touch base on like this, it's not in our nature to, to accept something that we benefit that we'll see in, in four months. If I want the, the color for my application change from blue to red. Uh, and especially, uh, we've been working in a platform environment in the past where a lot of hardware was involved as well. Um, sometimes the delays of, um, of deliveries will be yeah, we're pretty, pretty long uh, months, if not even longer. And then it's really hard to, um, to talk to the stakeholders and then the customers and the consumers, Hey, we really need to do this because otherwise. Three years down the road, the product will fail. Um, and from that perspective, I think it's, it's, it's important to, again, to, to communicate extremely clear, try to get the understanding and early phase that this might come, it's not as a surprise, but, um, you will need to, take into consideration that in a couple of months, we need to have a pause in certain deliveries or can only deliver uh, really high value topics. Because if we do not give you this in the next half year, we'll be fully blocked in, in two, and that is even more complex um, if in, with our, for example, our internal customers. Uh, Being 31 different markets, if we have a decentralized uh, platform, we might need to focus on Three markets, which means that twenty-eight other markets will not get any deliveries for for a while, or they get deliveries but not get value. They don't see the value uh, until after one or one and a half
4: years. I think it's I, I think this uh, this uh, I think you're 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 touching upon something uh, quite quite interesting, and, and I also i I'm, I've always been uh, been 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 quite interested in this uh, kind of what you are describing. I think it's the kind of the. The business versus uh, versus tech priority, right? Uh, which which it which is often the the kind of discussion. Uh, the discussion ends up with what is what is most important, uh, and how do we uh, how do we prioritize between those two? And and to me, it's it's kind of it, it's it's kind of a false contradiction. Uh, this business versus tech that, that that because one is a prerequisite for the other, right? And and uh, and and if you don't do uh, if you don't do all of the 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 maintenance and and remove technical debt on an ongoing basis it it has a it has an an interesting way to becoming a business priority in the end because then then suddenly the consequences will start showing right uh, and either the 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 product will not will not uh, work in the way that it should and it will it will start to see to see all of the consequences of not doing a regular uh, maintenance on ongoing maintenance uh, and of course it can also have have, uh, have consequences on what you are then able to deliver of uh, of new uh, kind of uh, client faced features in the end because it, it just takes up more and more resources. Resources. Uh, so yeah, I think it's I think it's quite interesting and 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 I've also been in in uh, in, in many discussions where 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 the, the the suggestion often will be then we do kind of a, a percentage split uh, like then it's 80-20 or 90-10, or then you can sit and discuss those percentages for for a long time. Um, but I think like to me in the end like a, a, a good product team. Uh, should be and will be able to make the right priorities um, because it's not a it's not a matter of, of, of whether it's, it's it's 80 or 20 it's it's at all time the 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 six um, the, the success criteria should be that you do what makes most sense and at whatever time uh, it is uh, it is needed right and then that you plan for 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 both in a, in a feasible and, and optimal way.
1: yeah I, I can only agree with you there. Um, the, the challenge, though, is especially um, I would say if you have external parties or uh, if you work for a consultancy for a company or or being outsourced, because then I would say people tend to have less patience with, um, with with those kind of deliveries.
3: Yeah, I I have a different angle in this. So I come from the Open Source Program Office, and uh, so I. In product delivery, I come more from the legal and the compliance side. And uh, even though I'm not touching really on the prioritization of the features, many times when I come into the picture, there are certain delays because certain open source software which the developers want to use, I cannot allow that because of compliance reasons, because of legal reasons. And uh, those conversations are really interesting because obviously they are thinking from the point of view of, oh, but we want to have a faster time to market, whereas I am kind of pulling them down saying, but we also want to release our products in a compliant manner. So uh, managing expectations at that point and being super transparent with them. And obviously in this case, we are trying to mitigate a risk that may or may not be there sometime in the future maybe five years in the future 10 years in the future so um having this conversation can be super super tricky at times and sometimes you have to make you know difficult decisions based on the risk sometimes you just have to go ahead with it sometimes you have to pull the plug on it uh but yeah that that's a different angle to this discussion not entirely i was thinking in the same lines
2: sort of yeah. How to break, because that's very much sort of my responsibility as well, not not uh, having to worry. I'm in very early stages, but I, 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 I'm I very much in the job of trying to mitigate risks, trying to see how can we as quickly as possible get data to inform us along the way to make this sort of tiered decision-making. But to come back to the gym, I'm not sure I understood if this was a matter of, Uh, loudly having to bring very bad news as quickly as possible not being appreciated or if it's a matter of having to invest yourself out of a situation that will just deepen the problem along the line even though you haven't reached break even yet.
1: Which one is it more of? Or maybe it's Uh, both? (laughs) I I, I would say it's both. Uh, I think both will happen because on one end you... uh... We, we always know that certain things need to be done. And I think there, we need to invest ourselves out of debt before it deepens. And then unfortunately, things can always go wrong. And at that point, you need to tell any consumer or customer, this went wrong and we need to fix it ASAP. So I think, um, one, you can do it in a more planned way. Um, and inform people a long time ahead, hey, this this might come up. And the, the, the latter is more firefighting to make sure that we inform people as soon as possible. Uh, this is happening at the moment. We need to pass other development um, topics just to make sure that um, the system is up, up, back, and running, or the system will stay up and running in the foreseeable future. Yeah, I
2: mean, it's the grail to have the, the answer to how to, in a streamlined way, efficiently and quickly build brilliant products it's always the challenge right because you're always entering unknown territory when you're you're doing something new so it's very hard to understand and plan for everything what i think though is important is to establish and continuously focus on the performance in the continuous product experience Um, because that's the engine that will drive both customer acquisition, and in the end, profitability. And, and there's a huge cost, Those are the most common KPIs everywhere, both in sort of venture or, or if people look at sort of uh, growth in new numbers of customers and profitability. That's where people stare, and that's what you have to pitch and build expectations around for anyone who invests because they can't be bothered with all the details or know how the sausage is actually made in the kitchen. But that is what anyone who has to design, build, and deliver a wonderful product experience, continuously has to focus on. And that's where you continuously need to invest. And that which should never be seen as disappointing or annoying to anyone, that there is where that's the engine, that's where all the investments need to be made uh, continuously to result in what you want to see in customer acquisition and profitability. So I think that that's it's, it's important to to push on that perspective from the very beginning of anything
0: basically. Perfect cheers guys. Uh Magnus, we will move to your topic next please.
2: I think Yeah, what I think that is interesting is managing expectations of uh the customers and users. When you start being able to have build some communication marketing or gain some attention for your value proposition to manage sort of your first minimum viable product, a beta version or something, and then build new product versions over time, Uh, methods and ways to understand when you will see a strong customer satisfaction and when you have product market fit from your guys' experience, how can you know that you sort of are at a point where you will have a great opportunity for public sort of appreciation of your product? and should stock investment marketing and, and and how do you refrain from being too, too soon or too late on that what are your experiences on that i think it's a, yeah to me it is it, it is, a, it, it is a, maybe the silence
4: is also a a way to say it, it's it's an extremely difficult uh adjustment to to make uh, and and also it's also something that that when i at least just like how, how do you how do you yeah how do you how do you measure when you have the the that that point in time where you are where you are hitting the the mark where you where you have the right uh product for your uh, for your for your customers and when you are ready to basically push the button as you say and and then and, uh, and start getting uh getting uh like uh yeah starting the all of the the communication and uh and, and 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 marketing and so on because it's a it's a balance and i and i don't i don't believe it's a maybe it's not a point maybe it's more of a of a, of a of a process and uh, and 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 then a continuous kind of learning experience more than it's kind of a, a specific point in time where you can say that that now it's now it's actually there. Uh, because, as you also mentioned, it's it's a matter of of uh, of keep improving uh, and keep changing and keep making adjustments to your to your product and at, at an uh, at an ongoing uh, going basis. So to some extent it 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 might also be a. Like a, 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 a trial and error process where you where you where you kind of not going not going all in at, at one point, but but maybe start uh, doing something, testing it out, seeing whether it's uh, it's working or not, and the feedback that you get, and then you have the ability to push harder or to uh, or to make it break a little if uh, if the results are not what you were, what you were expecting. But I think it's an yeah, it's a it's a really an interesting uh, interesting dilemma how to how to actually find that. That point
3: yeah i totally agree this is uh, this is a really really interesting question and i i guess there's no right or wrong answer to it um i think one thing that might work is you know having a focus group or a target group uh to whom you can kind of market the product to begin with internal target group or an external target group Uh, which is a diverse group and it's made of people who can give you critical feedback without any bias, right? And that sort of can help uh, to feel the pulse of what's there outside of the kind of feedback that you might get once you actually release the product. Uh, But, you know, having said that, uh, nothing can really prepare you for the real feedback that you might get from the market, from the industry, and so you have to be prepared for everything.
1: Yeah, but I think I think the, the hardest part is to to find out uh, when you are good enough to launch, and because of that moment in time, it's really hard to get feedback, especially with the with the modern ways of deploying it and moving into DevOps, et cetera. We do have micro deliveries, which means that we can tweak, we can test what the re- reviews are. We can see if people are using uh, the applications more. We have the data assets. We have a whole data lakes worth of data uh, that we can analyze on. We make a small tweak in our application. How is the customer reacting on that? Is the, are they using our application more often, more frequently? Um, is the checkout going faster? Is, are people ha- more happy with, with reviews? I think we, at the moment, we have such, so much data at our hands and if we use it in the right way, um, I think we can learn and act fast upon those feedbacks. But your original question still remains because before you launch, when do you know is the product good enough?
2: Yeah. And, and this that, that's the... Me having an, uh, many years experience of working with very early stage initiatives, they're very much what betting on, on people adapting to new behaviors. Like, would people swipe on their smartphone to meet someone to sleep with before it's like sort of it's you can't ask a focus group that or would would kids prefer an app where everything disappears after you have, have sent it than storing it as an email? How you can't you need you need to observe. It's tricky and it's it's fascinating and I I have no idea. So I was asking you guys, but please let me know if you come up with something.
4: <laughs> yeah, we are actually like from our, from our point of view, we are working with uh, as mentioned with the health and and chronic disease, uh, and that's very much within the. The area of, of kind of supported self-management where we are talking into like uh, behavioral changes for people in the real world right how can we how can we with an app support the process of, of living a a better life with your with your chronic disease and like testing that out uh, in, a, in a focus group or in in, uh, in interviews like basically figuring out whether whether this product will actually help people uh, do uh, do behavior change in real life that is, that is it is almost impossible, uh, I would say. Uh, like you, you basically need to, of course you can get feedback and it can be valuable, especially on the kind of the, the UX and UI parts, uh, that, that's, that's, that's quite easy. But the question about, will you use the product when you get it into your hands and you also have 10,000 other things to do, and will you actually do uh, the changes in your life that makes you uh, live uh, a better life with your chronic disease? Answering that question in an in an interview setting, I have to say it's it's quite hard, um, and 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 of course there is also a huge uh, a huge bias, and it's it's really difficult to uh, to, to get around that. That's uh, definitely also my experience. But super interesting, but uh, but not easy. Uh,
2: how have you been resolving those kind of questions then so far, Magnus? Uh, prototyping, observing, um, and and um, um, yeah, trying to collide with reality as soon as possible, and also to make sure to. Uh, not not worry too much about uh, the broader audience, but to hang closely for a long time with the community that you could say on the problem or live with the problem, and and uh, and then because you really need, you need to be merged with a deep understanding for whatever you're trying to inject in the reality. You need to be immersed into to really sort of understanding that reality I think, to make. Sound good decisions. Any designer development process, from my experience, is is just millions of small decisions. So, but but it's not like I have a one hundred percent success rate. (laughs) No one does. It's I don't know what that success is, but nine out of ten startups fail, and so on. It's difficult. Fantastic.
0: Cheers, guys. Um. So today's last topic of the podcast, Supriya, will come to you. Last but not least.
3: Sure. Um, I want to touch up a little bit on the softer aspects of this topic, or softer aspects of organization, is how to manage expectations in a hybrid, uh, remote and multicultural workplace, which is becoming the norm these days. So, um, uh, my personal experience is, so I started uh, working in a hybrid manner, partly from home, partly from office, about 12 years back at Siemens. Uh, and at that time this was not common at all you know people were not used to kids crying in the middle of a presentation spotty connections pets jumping onto your lap while on a video call so you know there was a lot of expectation from others and also from ourselves to be perfect when you're working from home fast forward to 2023 hybrid workplace is the new normal Um, and you know we have to acknowledge that the people who went home to work in 2020 are not the same people returning to the office in 22 we cannot erase the experience of the last two years employee expectations have been higher than ever um, and at the same time managers have kind of had to uh, sometimes feel stuck between the leadership and the employee expectations so what i have noticed is that employees now have a new definition of is the job worth it right they um they would consider leaving their jobs if not allowed to work remotely they want to prioritize their health and well-being um they want to make sure that going to the office is worth the commute so all in all there are a lot of different expectations and this is kind of uncharted territory for all of us so would like to love your experience on have you faced any of these uh How have you managed these expectations in your areas?
1: That's a super interesting question. Um, I think what what I've been doing so far is trying to set up team regulations. So, of course, the organization itself where you work is having their guidelines, uh, which you cannot go out of, but especially within the team, Uh, we are all working with um, highly professional people. And so what I'm trying to achieve is a situation where the team agrees that um, what 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 is okay for us in our team. Do we think it's okay to work from home on these days? Do we think it's okay to work? Um, so we have all this we have this playbook basically um, that is valid for our team, and that that way we democratize the ways of working as much as possible.
2: Yeah, we we have a fairly clear policy on on. Um expected to, you know, be be in the office uh, at least a few days a week, but it's very much up to us leaders and teams as well to make our own decisions on what to optimize. I find it difficult though because there's so much when it comes to my experience and how I try to both lead, make people feel included, establish a sense of such psychological safety that allows for creativity uh, and inclusion and diverse teams. I find all of those things very difficult to execute and to deliver on as leader when I don't have the group uh, gathered physically on a regular basis. Um, and I, 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 it's, it's hard. It's also interesting that it's, it's, it's also sort of a distant distance between the talent, uh, the best talents they can choose. And it's easy for them to switch possibly if, if they're, they're, if, if their experience from a manager is that sort of, yeah, I'll just, I'll just change you and stare, stare, stare on someone else in teams, of course, where's the loyalty, where's the, where's the connection, where's the, mm, mm, passion for, for delivering on, on the, the company's mission at the same time, uh, for good reasons i think many corporates have been exposed in that being a facade That's it's it's tricky and it's interesting and i it's just challenging from my perspective i think we have the we we have the the i don't know if it's a privilege but we
4: are we are quite small team so we are kind of on a, on a still on a on a startup level uh, which of course makes it uh, makes it easier to uh to uh, to have an ongoing dialogue and be quite uh, quite close uh, even though you might we might physically some uh, sometimes at least be uh, be quite uh, quite far from uh, from each other but I think that is also one of the uh, at least from my experience one of the most important things uh, that is that 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 you have a close and honest uh, dialogue with 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 all of the all of the uh, the employees even though you don't you don't see them physically then uh, then then have it on uh, on teams and and or whatever, whatever tool you are you are using, and and also to remember that you need to be available whenever it's uh, it's needed, whether that is in a chat or that is uh, that is on a on a phone call. And that that is also important, even though people don't sit sit right next to you and you cannot uh, you cannot physically uh, you cannot physically see them.
2: This is interesting, Klaus. Uh, are you a, a distributed team or do you sit together?
4: Uh, uh, we do uh, mostly sit, uh, sit together physically in, uh, here in, in an office in, in Copenhagen, but have uh, a lot of freedom to, uh, to, to work from home or from wherever it, uh, it, it, it makes sense. Um,
2: yeah, I understand. And but but, but my, my impression is that most small organizations or teams or startups like and do now after, after COVID when, and, and where restrictions are lifted, uh, people appreciate working together in an office during the days when you are in small, purpose-driven teams. I agree, and 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 that yeah, so that that would be evidence for me that sort of that is that is what the majority of us appreciate. Uh, that it's up to larger com- uh, employers uh, who want to attract talent and need to lead distributed teams. It's just sort of t- to understand the challenge. To make it uh, evident and easy for people to feel that they participate and contribute and work with something relevant enough together with your team. And when you do that, you want to be with them <laughs> and you want to go to work.
4: Yeah, I, I I agree, and I think there are. I think everyone also here noticed that there are that there are huge advantages of of sitting together. Um, on the other hand, of course, uh, as, as as was also mentioned in the introduction, the flexibility also just have a. Uh, is is a uh, is something that is important to uh, to to most people at least. Uh, we also have uh, I do myself have have uh, small kids, right? Uh, a few of the team members also have the the same. So there is of course a lot of kind of uh, uh, pros and cons on uh, on 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 various setups. And to me, the the like the the it's a matter of finding the the sweet spot where you have the the flexibility also because I firmly believe that that if you have Things under control at uh, at at uh, at home and and things are kind of in balance. Then you're also able to uh, to deliver much more when you are uh, at work, right? Um, and and there, of course, there are huge benefits in not having to commute uh, back and forth every day to the office if it doesn't fit into to whatever you uh, you need to do that day, which is outside of the of the of the work, right? So yeah to me, it's it's very much uh, a matter of finding a kind of a sweet spot and a setup that 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 works for everyone and also acknowledging that that people are different. So for some, it's extremely important to be in the office. and uh, and for them, it might also be important that that other people come to the office because otherwise it's kind of pointless. Uh, and on the other hand, that there is also uh, people who who has a who value flexibility uh, a lot because it uh, it also enables them to perform better uh, in in the job. So yeah.
3: Yeah, I, I really like all of your inputs, especially, you know, from what I understand, co-creating a common solution that works for the whole team. Uh, so co-creating a solution between the leader and the team. Um, and yes, it, it definitely helps if you can meet at least once in a while together, if you can be physically together. But then when you add the complexity of having remote teams in different time zones in different countries, uh, with people from different cultures, perhaps celebrating holidays at different times, um, having different, you know, infrastructures. Some having good Wi-Fi, some having bad. Uh, it can be really tricky. So, any thoughts on that? Have you had such experiences?
2: I mean, yes, that's very much the nature of a lot of the work we we do. Uh, we have a lot of distributed teams across our footprint, but also with a lot of partners and and uh, engaged sort of suppliers and, and developers internationally. It's, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think we're all fairly, can be professional about it, but in the early stage and to inspire people and to get um, a, a shared direction of a concept or uh, alignment on something that is new, I would say it's pretty much impossible to do in video conferencing remotely. I think that you need the full presence and bandwidth Uh, of being in the room together. But that can be fairly, I mean, then there's a, that's, that's, the ideation is 5%, and then 95% is execution. And plan, uh, execution according to plan, definitely easily, I think, can be managed, reported, and and, uh, done with very remote. Uh, But on on occasions when you want to do the critical thinking and, and take a leap, in your thinking, I have not seen that happen. I have not, I've yet to experience anything like that happen in these kinds of situations, uh, when you're, you're in a your video and or audio
1: and remotely. So, so yeah. No, I agree with that. I, and that yeah, no. yeah, go ahead. I was going to say I see, we 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 practice the same as well. Uh, if there are real big workshops needed, big decisions to be made, it it it, it does pay off to meet each other face to face, and having um, teams spread across time zones, which also means geographically large uh, distances, of course, it's is really complex. That's why I am a firm believer of trying at least to center your, even if you are working remotely, try to center your teams, at least in the same time zone, um, because it. Does remove a
4: bit of the complexity. I think also one of one of my experiences was also with 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 COVID that like when then everybody went home and everything was was online and I, I think my my main thought, okay this this works actually quite well. Uh, then then uh, then people started uh, getting back to the uh, to the office uh, while still uh, it was quite usual to to also work from home. So then you have these hybrid meetings where somewhere in the office somewhere online. And the reflection there was that this doesn't work, right? This is, it was actually better when we were all just online sitting at home, that that actually worked very, that was way more efficient than, than trying to, to have some people in the room and some people on. That, 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 that's, I think that, that no one has really cracked that one yet. That, that, that definitely doesn't work.
2: Yeah. It's binary, either or.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Perfect. Thanks for everything, guys. Really good way to kick off 2023 with a great podcast. Um so we'll leave it there for today. This has been the Evolution Exchange podcast. I'd like to take this opportunity to thank Jip, Magnus, supria and Clays for providing their insights into the topic and thanks to everyone for listening. If you'd like to get involved in one of our upcoming podcasts, reach out to me on LinkedIn or by email at Daniel.mikechecker evolution-nordics.com and we'll see you next time. Cheers guys.